Let's begin with a preview and a little summary of what we've said this morning. We saw this morning that God created Adam as a single. As I said, I don't think it was a long time. You know, even with naming the animals, it couldn't be too long if you believe in a 24-hour day. Because all of that was supposed to be done within a day. So Eve came on pretty quickly after Adam was created. God provided all of Adam's basic needs as a single. He provided a home in which to live, a perfect environment. He provided a job for Adam to do, and that was to worship him by serving or to work for him by obeying what he said. By the way, when we talk about work, we're going to see that work when it was originally giving was the way of worshiping God. Man's work is a means of worshiping God. That's where the word worship came, comes from, serving God. He gave Adam food to eat, except for one prohibition, only one. He gave him everything else he could possibly need or even want, except for one fruit. He says, don't eat it. Why? This is for another message, but it was to test his allegiance to him. And in the context of the warfare that was already going on with him and Lucifer, as to who would be the God of the universe. But he gave him a home in which to live. He gave him a job to do. He gave him food to eat. And so he provided for this single person for everything that he needed. And I think there's a principle there. There is a principle for Bible study. First reference, first mention of anything is the primary meaning and probably the meaning of that same thing throughout Scripture. In other words, once it's mentioned, you get the fuller meaning here. And we have God providing for a single person everything he could possibly want. Everything. That still stays true. God provides for the single person as well as he provides for the married people. The same God. He provides the same way. You see? If we try to meet the needs apart from God by disobeying him, we fall into the same problems that Adam did and Eve in the garden. You see, those needs must be met within the perimeters that he has established. But let's leave Adam for in a single state for a while in the garden. We want to look at the Bible overall now about singleness. And really, I... Uh, I've discovered some things going through the scripture, and I still am on singleness that really has blown my mind. It's such a wonderful study. It gives me another appreciation for the wisdom of God and what he's doing through us as individuals. But we want to give you a broad overview now of what the Bible teaches concerning singleness. God declared that it was not good for man to be alone. As I mentioned this morning, this was not a qualitative statement, but an ethical or theological one. God was making a statement about himself as a triune being. He was never alone. Therefore, neither should man be if he is to reflect what God is like. Now, this isn't the same thing as loneliness. And the loneliness, as you see in the context here, it has to do with helping. It's a helpmate. Man needs a helpmate. 
in order to accomplish God's purpose from on earth. That's the concept we must keep in mind. Eve was created as an equal helpmeet. The same way we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit within the Godhead. Equal persons but having different responsibilities. That's exactly how God established the home as well. And the marriage. Eve was created as an equal helpmeet to assist Adam in fulfilling his commission to rule over God's creation. Assistance and companionship, therefore, go hand in hand. Male and female in a marriage situation are to be working together to serve God. That's how they experience fulfillment in that area of their life. But thirdly, God commanded them to reproduce in order to populate the earth. Now listen to this. Verse 26 of Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule. This is the first aspect of man being made in the image of God, the ability to rule. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them. How did he bless them? By saying to them, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, the creator blessed his creatures by giving them the power to procreate. That's how they show who he is like. So right here in this text, we have two major uh, ways that man is to show what God is like to show his image. First of all, the ability to rule. Secondly, the ability to procreate. That's how we show the image of God. The ability to procreate. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, this is the beginning then of marriage and bearing children. The concept anyway. Marriage and bearing of children becomes to be regarded as God's ideal. When you, we're looking at the Old Testament overall now. In other words, having children, and many of them, was seen as the norm. A marriage was considered to be cursed if there was no children. Individuals who were not married was regarded as not having the favor or blessing of God upon them. This is the emphasis that is carried on through the Old Testament. And so for the average person in the Old Testament, to be unmarried was a sign of a lack of God's blessing upon one's life. That is what we see throughout the Old Testament. And when you read the Old Testament, you will see that. To be barren was regarded as a lack of God's blessing, is regarded as a curse. The norm was to be married and to have children. That's what you see throughout the Old Testament. Isn't that right? Now you see, for those who do not study the word, I'm talking about those back there now, they could have a real negative feeling when it comes to being single. They would see single as singleness as being a curse, as being outside of God's favor. But listen, God did not forget the single person. He did not leave them out. God has a specific design 
even in the Old Testament, for the single. I want you to listen to this amazing passage of Scripture. It's in Isaiah chapter 56. I'll read it. Thus says the Lord, verse 1, skip down to verse 3. Let not the eunuch. This is the word. It means single. Now, of course, the eunuchs were given special jobs back then. I won't go into all of that. For our purposes, let's look at the eunuch as a single. All right? That's the concept here. Thus says the Lord, let not the single say, behold, I am a dry tree. Cannot reproduce. For thus says the Lord, to the singles who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. Notice now, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. Do you see that? This is an amazing statement here. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. What an amazing statement this is. What a fantastic promise this is. God says he will bless the single person who obeys his word and chooses to serve him with a blessing that is better than having children, better than being married. Isn't that amazing? Did God forget the single? No. Does God have a plan for them? Yes. What a promise this is. But notice carefully now, single people, the promise dependent upon the conditions being met. What were the conditions? Obeying the word of God and seeking to please him at all times. That's it. Now, now, does that remind you of anything? Sure, it should. It should remind you of what God commanded Adam. The same mandate he had given to Adam as a single man. Serve me by obeying my commandments. That's what he said to Adam. When you do this, you will reflect who I am. He's saying the same thing in this promise to the single person. You seek my ways. You seek to honor me. You obey my Sabbaths. You do what I tell you to do. And I will give you a blessing greater than being married or having children. That's quite a statement, isn't it? Do you think God... Is disregarding the single person? Of course he isn't. That's the Old Testament. In spite of this emphasis on marriage and having children, God says to the single, I have a plan for you as well if you seek me first. Now let's go to the New Testament. Because we're just looking at an overview here. And we go to the teaching of Jesus Christ himself. The Matthew chapter 19. And I want you to turn to that. Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12. This is Jesus' teaching concerning divorce, or marriage, divorce, and remarriage. This is where he talks about singleness, believe it or not. In one passage, Jesus talks about marriage, divorce, remarriage, and singleness. In verses 4, 5, and 10 of this passage, marriage is assumed as being the norm. Notice what he says in verse 4. And answer, this is Jesus. 
Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? In other words, Jesus assumes here that people should get married. Look at verse 10. The disciples said to him, If the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. In other words, Jesus was so rigid when it came to divorce. His, his teaching concerning divorce was so rigid, the disciples came to realize, hey, once you get married, you can't get out. So they said, well, then I'm going to get in. So the idea is, though, that marriage was the thing to do. It was accepted as the norm. Jesus was teaching this. Now this response leads into, the, into his teaching concerning singleness. Look at what he says in verse 11. But he said to them, Not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. Now what statement is he talking about? In the context, he's talking about the possibility of someone getting into a situation where he's divorced. He didn't cause it, he didn't want it, but he was divorced. Now he has a decision to make. What am I going to do? Should I go look to get married again or stay single? This is what Jesus is, this is, a, this is a situation that he's addressing here. And now notice what he says now. It is better not to marry. This is the statement he's referring to. Jesus said that's true. But only for those who can receive it. Only for those who can receive it. Now notice what he says. Not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs or singles who were born that way from their mother's womb. In other words, unable to reproduce because of some genetic effect, defect. And there are eunuchs or singles who are made eunuchs by men. Now this has to do with the historical setting. The men were actually castrated so they could take care of the harems and so on. And there are also singles or eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs. Singles who made themselves singles for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept him, accept it, let him accept it. Now I want you to see what Jesus is doing here. In context, he's talking about the cost of true discipleship, what it means to follow him. And he says that singleness is a viable option to marriage for those who have been given the special ability to live contentedly in that condition or if they choose to do so for the glory of God. Jesus is laying down two conditions here for singleness. Number one, a person can live in that condition contentedly. No problems. Number two, it's a problem, but they choose it nonetheless for the sake of the kingdom of God. So one is a gift, the other is a choice. This is a hard saying of Jesus. One is a gift, one is a choice. Now, Jesus continues. He says that there are three circumstances that bring about singleness in his day. One was congenital, birth defects. This was no personal choice. The individual didn't choose to be born unable to reproduce. Then, secondly, by compulsion or mutilation. This is what the eunuchs were forced to do. The person was forced to take a, 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 a state of singleness. And then thirdly, commitment. 
He's a person who chose to honor the word of God through obedience and consecration to the work of God for the glory of God. In other words, this one took a personal choice. A deliberate, considered commitment. And Jesus says some people do that for the glory of God. And in the context, Jesus is regarding a choice to remain single for the sake of the kingdom of God as a mark of true discipleship. A choice to remain single for the sake of the kingdom of God is a mark of true discipleship. Jesus is reinforcing the teaching of the Old Testament. He's saying that anyone who chooses to serve him by choosing to give up the blessings of marriage and family life will receive greater blessings by making such a choice. You say, where do you get that? Listen to the passage. Mark chapter 10. Peter said to him, behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father, or children, or farms, for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters, and listen, and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Many who are first will be last, and the last first. What is Jesus teaching? Jesus is saying that anyone who chooses to serve him by choosing to give up the blessings of marriage and family life will receive greater blessings by making such a choice. He's teaching the same truth that was taught in the Old Testament. He also teaches that Jesus that being a part of the family of God, and here's the point, being a part of the family of God is more important to God's eternal program than the marriage or the family relationship. Let me say this now, because some people don't seem to understand the teaching of Jesus in this regard. Jesus teaches that being a part of the family of God is more important to God's eternal program than the marriage or family relationship. He teaches that the marriage and family relationship is temporal, but God's family is eternal. God's family is not propagated by the family relationship, husband and wife. God's family is populated by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. What he is saying, it's important for us to understand this here. You remember when Jesus' brothers and sisters and mothers came to him, looking for him? And the disciple says, your brother, your mother, and your sisters are waiting for you outside. You remember that? What did he say? Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? Here they are, those who obey the word of God. Hmm? He is showing that the family of God, the spiritual family of God, has a greater role in God's program than the family. Why? Because one is eternal, the other is temporal. No matter how wonderful and blessing the marriage life is, it's going to end at death. There's a temporal relationship. Jesus taught this again. 
Listen to Luke chapter 11, verse 27. While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised a voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. In other words, blessed is your mother. Jesus said, on the contrary, you wrong. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. You see what he's saying? Do you see what he's saying? The family of God characterized by obeying the word of God has a higher priority than a relationship within a human family. Now, here's something that's going to really blow your mind. Jesus taught that the eternal state will be a state of singleness, not marriage. Listen to the word. Matthew 22, verse 23. On that day, some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus and questioned him, asking, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died, and having no children, left his wife to his brother. And so he also the second, and the third, and the seventh, last of all, the woman died. Boy, she should die by this time. The woman died. And in the resurrection, therefore, Jesus, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had married her. Now notice the words of Jesus. Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken. And this is so true of Christians when we come to look at the marriage life and singleness and the family of God. You are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. Now, according to this text, that's a single state. Marriage ends with death. Marriage does not enter into the kingdom of God. When we get there, we're all going to be Singles. Here's the mystery now. But we can be a bride. <laughs> Jesus is speaking about the life to come. The eternal state. Jesus says it will not be husband, wife, children, marriage oriented. It will be single oriented. Although we will be the bride of Christ. And so what is Jesus doing? Jesus is validating and supporting the old teacherman regarding singleness. For those who either choose it voluntarily for the sake of Christ or are gifted to live such a life, it is a state of blessing that even surpasses the blessing of marriage and having children. You didn't think that was in the Bible, did you? You probably still don't think it's in the Bible. See what happens when we listen to the noise in the market? Now let's look at the teaching of the Apostle Paul. Now no, you're just giving us overview of the teaching. Look at the Old Testament. We're looking at the New Testament. We came to Jesus. Now we come to Paul. 1 Corinthians 7. You turn to that passage as well. Now like Jesus, Paul's teaching regarding singleness is given in the context of his teaching concerning marriage, divorce, and remarriage. That's amazing. Just like Jesus Christ, Paul teaches about 
Marriage, divorce, remarriage, and singleness. Not separately, but in the same context. Not separated, but they're all together. But he also teaches us in the context, if you look at verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he talks about the present distress. That was persecution at the time. And he was convinced that the time was short. He believed that the Lord was coming in his day. It appears that he believed that anyway. When we read this passage then concerning singleness, any conclusions concerning Paul's teaching about singleness and marriage must take these factors into consideration. What factors? One, present distress. What are the conditions? If the conditions are there, then what he's saying does not hold. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you have to see those conditions. If you don't see them, you take this out of context very easily and get an erroneous teaching here. You see, but let's take a look at it with those factors in mind. He says in verse 7 and verse 17 that both marriage and singleness is a gift. Notice what he says, verse 7. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God. One in this manner and another in that. In context, it means that one could be single, other could be married. He views marriage as a gift as well, not only singleness. Marriage is also a gift from God. Verse 17. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one. Notice that. Assigned to each one. As God has called each. In this manner, let him walk. So I teach in all the churches. He's simply saying this. That I teach everywhere I go. That marriage is a gift. Singleness is a gift from God. He teaches that. Wherever he goes. The same way he teaches women supposed to wear head coverings. Everywhere he goes. That's true. That's what he says. That's why he said it. He says, I don't teach anything different. Look at it in 1 Corinthians 14. He said, everywhere I go, I teach the same thing about the head covering. Isn't that right? He says the same thing here about singleness being a gift and marriage being a gift. But many of us regard this the same way we regard head covering. Who cares? Thought I'll get that in there. All right. Thirdly, he advises choosing singleness for four specific reasons. In this chapter, he advises those to whom he is writing to choose singleness for four reasons. Number one, if you have the gift of sexual self-control. Look at verse 9. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, that it is good for them if they remain even as I am, single. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry. Notice that. If you don't have self-control, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. That's why I have written across this verse, in case of fire, say I do. <laughs> but God is teaching here that he has given the gift of Controlling sexual desires, passions to some. Others he hasn't. That's an indication as to whether or not you have the gift. If you think that you cannot live as a single without sinning, then you better get married. 
You understand what I'm saying? Because that's a sign that you don't have the gift. However, self-control is something that we can control under the Spirit of God. That's where the element of choice comes in. And when Jesus talks about difficulties in living the life, but some have the gift. And so if you don't have the gift, in case of fire, say, I do. But then he goes on to verse 26. He says, because of the present distress. Look at what it says. I think then that this is good in view of the present distress. That it is good for a man to remain as he is, single. Well, not only that, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Don't look for divorce. Are you released from a wife? Are you unmarried? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. He's saying that there are some conditions that exist at certain times that uh, make it better for a person not to marry. He doesn't say it's wrong if you marry, but says it's better not to marry because of circumstances. In this situation, why marry a wife and have children and you're being persecuted, you've got to be running all over the place. That's just crazy. That's what he's saying. He says, I want, you to, I want to prevent you from getting into all of that trouble. So he says, depending on the circumstances, the conditions, it might be best for you to choose to remain single. But if the fire is burning, get married. You've not sinned. Then he gives a third one in verse 29. He says, I say, brethren, the time has been shortened. So that from now on, those who have wives should be as though, as though they had none. And those who weep as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. In other words, he's saying, now listen, if you have a deep conviction in your soul that Jesus Christ is coming soon. And you want to serve him. It's better not for you to get married. It's better not. Because you're only going to have pressure and tension with your wife. That's the idea. So it depends on your conviction as to how much time you have left to serve the Lord. Where do you want to put your time? You can deal with that in the next one. Look at verse 32. He says, perhaps you might want to remain single because of your desire to be totally committed to the work of God. Verse 32, I want you to be free from concern. This is, he says, in serving the Lord, I don't want you to have any concerns about anything else other than serving God. He says, one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord. That's what you're focusing on. How he may please the Lord. But one who is married... He's concerned about the things of the world, how he pleases his wife. Now notice, he calls pleasing the wife a thing of the world. That's what it says. And his interests are divided. Now all of us as married people know this is true. You can't deny this, you can't get away from it, you can't run from it. You know that sometimes you want to be involved in certain things of God and you can't do it because your wife don't want you to do it or your husband don't want you to do it or some concerns come up. You know that. That's what Paul is saying. 
He's being, a re, he's being a realist. This is the situation. If you really believe that time is short and you really have a deep desire to serve God, well, don't get married because your, your interests are going to be divided. That's what he says. He says, one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. He's saying the same thing again as was taught concerning Adam, taught in the Old Testament, that Jesus teaches. If it is really your desire, above all things, to serve God unrestricted, then don't get married. But now he says... If you do get married, it isn't sin. But he says, if you do get married and you have a deep desire to serve the Lord, you can have a divided loyalty. He doesn't say that loyalty is wrong, mind you, but he just says you will have a divided loyalty. That's what he teaches. So, let's put this all together. Look in the Old Testament, New Testament teaching of Paul, teaching of Jesus. What conclusions can we come up with so far? Well, number one. Neither the marriage or single state is better than the other. Both are determined by God as one special calling. None are better than the other. You have to decide where God has called you. Secondly, if God determines singleness by congenital reasons or some condition that is not specifically chosen, that is to be a children, the person should accept it as being God's will for them. That is how God is glorified. Now, of course, we'll get into another message and show that marriage isn't only for bearing children. But we'll be putting in that connection right now. The point is, whatever your lot is that you have no control over, you have to accept that as God's sovereignty in your life. And that's his calling for you. Thirdly, if a person is presently a single or chooses the single state, then all of their energies, their time, their talents are to be placed into service for Christ until he leads otherwise. In other words, if you are a single person now, you should have no divided loyalties. You should be totally and fully committed to God. And if you do that, he will provide for you. The principles have been laid down. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. A home, a job, clothes, everything you need if you put God first in your life as a single person. Of course, that's true with marriage people as well. But especially for the single. These are some of the principles. So let's try to apply some of them before we close. First, single people are not to regard themselves as oddballs. Second-class citizens or second-class Christians or third wheels simply because they're not married or they have no desire to marry. Instead, singles are to consider themselves as a potential vessel or instrument which God can use to the fullest maximum for his glory. You could be dynamite in the hand of God. You could really be a, a big gun, a cannon for God. That's true. He wants you to recognize that. Secondly, singles' sexual desires can be redirected to activities that glorify Christ. In other words, 
energies created by natural needs can be used in spiritual activities to glorify Christ. Paul teaches that in 1 Corinthians 7. You see that throughout Scripture as well. If we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all of our needs will be met, including the sexual needs of the single. And God knows how to meet those. Thirdly, some of the basic needs of singles, such as acceptance, companionship, sense of worth, sense of being loved, wanted, needed, can best be met by a loving and caring church body. Sometimes you forget this. And also a family. You remember this diagram I put up earlier uh, this morning? Let me show you this before. And I asked the question, where do the singles go? The unity, intimacy, community that reflects the nature of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is to be reflected in the family and the church. Where do singles go to have the relation needs met? Within singles who have the same deficit as they have. You can't find a fulfillment there. Where should they go? Alan, click it again. They should go to the family and to the church. Now, of course, sometimes you have trouble there because go to your church and the church family is not loving. It is not caring. It is not compassionate. But you see, maybe God wants you to go there to teach them how to be loving, how to be compassionate, how to be caring. Let me say to those of us who are married here with the singles, uh, we, we, we should be having special love and concern for those folks, special concern. You see, showing acceptance totally, fully, not putting the pressures on them that God doesn't put on them himself. Accepting them for who they are, not who you think they should be, you see. But this is where they find fulfillment in the family and in the church, you see. And if you try to find fulfillment of those needs outside of those relationships, you're going to be disappointed all the time. You're going to be disappointed all the time because that's not where God has provided those needs to be met. All right. Number four, singles are not to have a judgmental attitude toward those who are married or towards the church as though they owe you something. We have some singles like that. We just believe, boy, we should, you know, they owe us something. But that kind of an attitude can lead to resentment, anger, and rejection. You'll never feel, you'll never find the fulfillment that you want with that kind of an attitude. Number five, the church is not to discriminate against singles as to the areas of ministry or leadership. The word of God alone is to be the basis for our determining who is or not qualified for ministry. And we must remember that because there are many churches who eliminate single people from certain areas of ministry simply because they are single. We cannot do that. The single person is a part of the family of God if they know Jesus Christ as Savior. They are members of the incredible body of Christ just as you are, just as I am. They are a member of a family. Never forget that. They are brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, just like all of us do. We're part of a family, the family of God. The only family that is going to last is a spiritual family, members of the family of God. All of the family ties are going to be broken to death. That's right. That's why our focus should be on the family of God to make sure that we are treating all members of this incredible body 
the same way. Sila, think and act on these things. Word of prayer. Take a few moments, quiet reflection. Perhaps God has spoken to you in some way as a single individual or as a married person concerning your own attitude toward each other, toward one another. Perhaps you're going to commit yourself in reaching out in a new and in a special and a loving way to those who are single. Show them that you accept them as they are for who they are and their relationship to Jesus Christ. Perhaps as a single, you need to make a new commitment to Jesus Christ, to serving him. And be fully at his disposal. Perhaps God wants to use you to demonstrate to us who are married what it means to be totally committed to Jesus Christ. Oneness, singleness of mind in serving him. Perhaps that's what God is calling you to do, to demonstrate in this body. Father, thank you for your word. Use it to bring about the results that you have already determined. You have said that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose to which you have sent it forth. Thank you for that. And all of God's people said, Amen.